Good morning, everybody. It's been a while since I've uh, been up here and preached here at the river. It's good to be back. And I was wondering why my dad, I asked if I could switch weeks with him. And I was like, is March 13th free? And he was like, take it. And I'm like, okay, are you sure? Go, go, go. And now I wake up this morning. I'm like, oh, it's great. It's daylight savings. Thank you so much for your kindness. Oh, and you would like me to teach on the book of Titus. So here we are. I'm teaching on the book of Titus this morning, wrapping up our church series. And Titus is just one of those books that you don't really study very often, do you? Unless you're doing read through the Bible, it's not a book that we sit in very often and do our Bible studies or even quote. And I think I might have an idea why. I'm not sure. But Titus is full of passages like this. I'm just going to read you a little snippet. He, oh, my, my uh, Bible's going to blow all over town. Okay, here are the qualifications for elders in a church. Ready? The over, uh, if any man is beyond reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of indecent behavior or rebellion, the overseer must be beyond reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what's good, self-controlled, righteous, holy, disciplined, holding firm to, and faithful to the word. This is quite a list, and this is only the beginning. This is just like a little snippet. There are expectations of an elder's family in here and of his outward actions. He can't be angry of his of the posture of his heart. He can't be greedy, no greed in his heart. And what do we do with this, right? What do we do with a list like this, these qualifications? And this gets people going. I know some of you are on your edge of the edge of your seat, like, what's she going to say? Where are we going to go today? And you're just excited for me to get into, into it. And we could do that. There are ways this passage has been interpreted over the years and passages like it, and we could get into the Greek words and what they mean and what they meant in context. And I have studied things like this. And how do we, how do we take this passage? Does it apply to our church today? Is it meant for us? And if so, how is our church measuring up to this? And we could do this. We could spend our entire little 30-minute chunk this morning doing that together. But here's why we're not gonna start there. Because although these are important conversations to have and good questions to have, ask, it's not the right place to start, okay? Here's how I know, because it's not even where Paul starts. We can't just jump into all of these criteria and qualifications and the behavior and the godliness because Paul says, First, we have to understand, and not only understand, but receive something that is absolutely foundational and transformative before we get to that. So, Titus chapter 1, here's where Paul says we start. From Paul, I'm reading verse 1 of Titus. You can just listen to it. We're actually going to sit in a different part of Titus together this morning. From Paul, God's willing slave and an apostle of Jesus, the anointed one, to Titus. Here it is in black and white. I am writing to you to 
further the faith of God's chosen ones and lead them to full knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, which rests on the hope of eternal life. Why is Paul writing the book of Titus? To further the faith, it says, right there in verse 1, to lead to full knowledge of the truth. Ultimately, Paul wants godliness, right? He wants, everybody nod your head so I know you're with me. I know it's early. He wants men and women and elders and church leadership that are displaying Christ-likeness in every aspect of their lives. Of course that's what he wants. But he knows that that's not the place we start. That the church must be ordered and organized in such a way that it leads people to further their faith and grow in knowledge of the truth and that when that happens, it will lead to godliness, the behavior. Because when faith and truth take root, they grow and bloom and blossom into godliness. And when the gospel takes root in our heart, that is the response. It just happens. It overflows out of us. Amen? But we can't start the other way around. I'm going to give you a picture of this. So if a plane is taking off from New York City, imagine this, okay, your friend asks you to pick them up at LAX airport, which, by the way, don't ask your friends to pick you up at the airport. That's just horrible. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Okay, nobody, nobody laughed. Man, <laughs> you guys all ask your friends to pick you up at the airport. Okay, so you're picking your friend up at LAX airport, which is a commitment, especially if you live, like, somewhere deep in PV, and, like, that's a long drive. Or LA, okay. So a plane is coming in, you are in the LAX airport parking lot, you're waiting for your friend to arrive, but here's the problem. The pilot of the plane, when it was taking off from New York City, entered in the coordinates into the plane's navigation system, the latitude and the longitude, and the pilot accidentally entered the coordinates just a single degree off. Just one degree, okay? Do you know where the plane would end up by the time it gets to Southern California. You are at the LAX airport and your friend is, has landed in San Clemente. There is a significant difference between LA and Orange County, am I right? So what, it, what am I getting at? Some of us, I am so excited to teach this message today because I, I feel so passionate about this. There are so many people who are absolutely exhausted. And they are, we are striving for godliness and trying to put off sin in our lives and be good people. We really want to be good people. We desire to be good people, but we're getting tired and we're exhausted and we're wondering why we are not experiencing the kind of life that God promised for us the fullness of life, the abundant life, the life that is full of his peace and the joy that comes in his presence, 
those, those anxieties laid down at his feet where he says the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Why don't I feel that? Why am I not experiencing your goodness, Lord? Where is that life that you promised me? And sometimes, I think somewhere along the way, we might have just gotten a degree off. We put in the coordinates, and we understand the gospel, and we hear the truth, and we receive it, and then somewhere along the way, we just shift like even a degree, half a degree. And here's what it looks like for me. I know the truth that God has done the work of saving for me, that there's nothing I can do to earn his love. He's already given it to me freely. And yet, I know this to be true. I, I, I'm an achiever. I'm a performer. I want to do good for God. I want to be proactive. I want to be bringing him glory in everything I do, and I want to do it well. And so I just shift over just a half a degree and say, well, I think God would be really pleased with me if I did this or when I do this. I think he's happy. I think he's actually, I think he's more happy with me that I did that extra thing, that extra item on my to-do list to bless somebody on the Sabbath instead of taking the Sabbath holy and just resting in him and enjoying his presence. I, I actually think he'd be more happy with that. And it's just a half a degree shift. But over the course of a day, and a month, and a week, and years, it just leads to a different place, right? Do you get what I'm saying? Nod with me. Some Two people. Okay. And God said, thanks, Kathy. God says, I want you to be over here. I want you in LA. I meant for you to be in LA. This is the direction I want to lead you towards fullness of life. And you're in San Clemente. Just, it's just, it's just a little bit off, but over the course of time, it gets further and further. And so today, you know what we're going to do? We are just going to go back to the simple truth of the gospel. We're just going to go back and ask, like, where over the years has it just gotten crusted over or calloused? And how can we just have a reset moment this morning? Because I know probably most of you on this beach have heard the gospel before, maybe a million times. You could probably get up here and just share it. But this is so beautiful. I always forget that the gospel is not just for people who don't know Jesus to lead people to salvation. The gospel is not just what saves sinners. It's what sanctifies saints. The gospel is for us daily. It's what motivates us in our pursuit of Jesus. It's what encourages us when we fail, when we get distracted and discouraged. And so let's go back to the simple truth of the gospel. We're going to hit the reset button. And all I ask of you this morning is that you would just open your heart to hear the gospel again as if it was the first time. And, you know, teachers, oftentimes, you know, we prepare our message. And then as we are um, just getting more and more confident with it, we try to think of clever ways to say things, catchy lines that people will remember and I felt like the Lord was like, don't even, don't do any of that. Because it's not even going to be a single thing that you say 
that people walk away with. I want it to just be purely the truth of the gospel right from the scripture. That's what people are going to walk away with this morning. So that's where we're going to go. Can I pray for us? Will you pray this with me? I don't want to just pray for us. Father, I'm excited. I pray that hearts would be open this morning to not only hear the gospel, but I ask that your spirit would make us aware of where we're missing the power of it. Where there's more for us in the truth of the gospel, where we can shift ever so slightly, even a degree or half of a degree or a hundredth of a degree in order to reset our navigation, the coordinates to be on the trajectory that you have set before us towards becoming like Christ and which leads toward eternity with you. Everything rests on the hope of eternity, Paul says. So Lord, as we read your word, I ask that you would speak to us now. It's the spirit that's going to do the work. And we want a fresh word from you today, Lord. We ask that you would shake off the layers and the crust and the calluses that have built up around the gospel and give it to us fresh, Lord. That it would be like we're hearing it for the first time. That we would have a new aha moment. Just eight even a subtle thing that makes us fall more in love with you and transforms our heart. Because we want to be godly men and women, but we know that the place to start is through the transforming power of the gospel. Thank you, Lord. We ask all this in your name. We open ourselves to you. Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do this morning. 10 minutes. I'm going to walk through Titus 3 if you have your Bibles. And I even printed it out. There is a handout because we're going to read it so many times this morning. Titus 3, we're going to walk through it verse by verse and just read the gospel together. And then we're actually going to finish with 10 more minutes of just having a moment for you to hear the Lord speak these words to you. And we're just going to give space for the Lord to stir up something in your heart for you to have an opportunity to hear his voice because this is his word. So good, right? All right, I'm going to need a little more from you guys today. Come on. I just came from a women's retreat. We had a lot of energy. I know it's daylight savings. All right, Titus 3, 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, ready for every good deed, to slander no one, not to be contentious, to be gentle, showing every consideration for all people. Don't you love this language? Be ready for every good deed. So good. And show consideration for all people. This is what godliness looks like, right? Showing consideration for all people. Being ready for every good deed. Why? Verse 3. Here's the key. Because, or for, we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. 
spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds, which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This statement is trustworthy. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and beneficial for all people. I love that Paul closes with the connection between <laughs> belief and engaging in good deeds. He starts with the, the good deeds, right? And then he gets to the why. And then he finishes with the good deeds. And then he still reminds again so that those who have believed, because they can't be separated. And I love this very last line. These things are good and beneficial for all people. How kind of God that what he invites us into is actually good for us, that he has good for us. We got to talk about that a little bit at the women's retreat. Did you know that? Do you believe that what he has for you is good? I'm not gonna get into that further, but Paul just reminding everything that God's gonna invite you into is actually good. Can you trust his way? So Paul begins, we are to be ready for every good deed, considerate of all people. Why? Because of the gospel. And what is the gospel? Right here in the beginning, we're foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. Our sin leads to death. You know the verses from Romans. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But here's the thing. Some of us stop here. This is like a little point where some of us make a little shift because we're so we, we receive the sin truth and we understand what sin is and that God doesn't like sin and that we need to turn from sin and that's what it becomes about for us. To follow God becomes, I want to be a good person and I want to stay away from sin and I want to have the godly actions. But without the rest of the gospel, that's just moralism. That's just, that's just the very beginning of the gospel. So let's keep going, right? Let's not get stuck there. Verse 4, just walking verse by verse. But the kindness, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. How good is this, the way Paul phrases this? When the kindness and love of God appeared. Like the kindness and love appeared as something. What's he referring to? Thank you. Jesus, everyone together. He's referring to Jesus, the incarnate, God with us, the Jesus God made flesh. I mean, it's beautiful that that is the picture of God's love for us. His kindness for us is Jesus, human flesh, coming to earth to die and be raised again because he loves us so much. For God 
so loved you that he gave his only son to die and be raised. How beautiful is that? So that you might know him. And all of this, verse 5, is not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but it's in accordance with his mercy. Many of you might be more familiar with this exact same sequence that we found in Ephesians 2. Sorry, I'm scared of bees. You know Ephesians 2? Some of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. By nature, we're children of wrath. It's the same language. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive in Christ. And it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And even the faith that you have to believe is a gift of God not as a result of work so that no one may boast. That's Ephesians 2. It's the same progression. It's like you're, and I remember, man, I've known the gospel, the truth of the gospel my whole life. And like 12 years ago, I was leading a group of high school girls through Ephesians 2. The Lord was like, just study Ephesians 2 with them. I'm like, okay. And we get into this. I'm like, is this really true? That we, I mean, it hit me in a whole new way. And it's like, I've heard this a million times that we were literally dead. There's nothing that we could do to earn, I mean, we're headed towards nothing. And, but God being rich in mercy, that's it. Just because he loved us, he made us alive in Christ. It's that simple. That is the grace of God. That was one of those shift moments for me where it was like, okay, I'm following you. I know what it looks like to love you and to receive the gospel and to hear the gospel, but you're just shifting me a little bit closer on the trajectory of where you want me to be, of what you want me to understand and receive and live out of the truth, the gospel transforming my heart and resulting in even more godliness. And some of us, I know that we believe this, we know that we're saved by faith in Christ, that it's not of ourselves, but we just, we just revert, like me, to just thinking that we can just perform a little bit for God. So what this looks like for me, because I, I already was vulnerable and shared with you that, you know, I keep going back to reset here. What this looks like for me to actually fully live out of this acceptance from God, that I already have it, that he's already pleased by me, and that I can't earn his love and affection, this looks like me practicing the Sabbath because I stop and I say all those extra things that I would have gotten done you would rather that I just stop and delight in you you'd so much rather that I just spend that extra hour or day just adoring you and praising you that you've already done it and that is the gospel transforming Let's keep going. This is the key part here. We only have a couple more verses. Then we're going to spend some time with the Lord. I'm in verse 5. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he richly 
poured out upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. What is regeneration? What is renewing? Some of you are scared because these words are right in the middle of the gospel. What do they mean? I think this is key. I think this is where we lose some people here because we believe the truth that we sinned and that we need saving. And we believe that God sent Jesus to save us, to die, to be raised from the dead, to pay for our sin, and that he did it out of his grace. And there's nothing that we could, have do, could do to earn it. But when we believe that, when we believe these truths, when we believe them in our heart and confess them with our mouth, what happens to us? Something happens, right? What? What do we get? The Holy Spirit, right? We get the Holy Spirit when this happens. This is a significant part of the truth that we have to receive. We become a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. And that is powerful. And some of us are like, this born again word, like, I don't really know what that means. Here, I know this is a horrible example, but it's just the first thing I thought of. When you get a new iPhone, what is the first thing you buy to go with your new iPhone? A new case. Some of you are like, I don't have a case. I don't think we can be friends because I don't trust myself around you. You buy a new case because if you have the new 13 Max Pro, first of all, it doesn't fit in the iPhone 9 case. Maybe you have the 11. You upgrade more frequently than me. But still, it doesn't fit, first of all. And you've had it for like a year or two. It's old and crusty, right? Mine's sticky because my kids are gross. So you're not going to put your brand new iPhone in your old iPhone case. You're going to go get a new case. Okay, here. Let's just take this a whole step further because some of you are looking blankly at me. What if you had your new iPhone Max 13 Pro or whatever it's called, and after like six months of using it, you're like, I'm going to get... I just want to get out my old iPhone 9 case today. And I just want to try to squ- I just want to try to look at it and hold it and just try to squeeze it on my iPhone again. No, that would be literally so nutty and disgusting. You're like, "Let's get rid of that thing. Let's just toss it. It is behind us." And there's a a translation of the 2 Corinthians passage that says, "The old is gone, the new has come." That actually says this. All that is related to the old has vanished. That's such a good picture, isn't it? When we're born again in Christ. I mean, it's like everything is gone. We are a new creation in Christ. But here's the thing. This is just the first half of understanding this section about renewing by the Holy Spirit and regeneration because we still haven't really addressed this word regeneration. What does that even mean? Okay, let me tell you. You guys are going to love this. This is what the Lord... Just to be honest here, this is, as I've been preparing this week, this is the thing that the Lord has been firing me up about, okay? So the only other time this word regeneration, the way it's written here in Titus in the Greek, is used in the New Testament is in Matthew chapter 19. And Peter and Jesus are having this conversation. And Peter asks Jesus this, man, don't you just love Peter, ready? Like, you know it's going to be good. Behold, we have left everything and followed you, Jesus. What then will there be for us? 
Like, of course that would come from Peter, right? We've left everything to follow you. What then will, will there be for us? And this is how Jesus responds to Peter. He says, truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children and farms on account of my name will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Everything rests on the hope of eternal life. Paul reminds us, Jesus reminds us, everything rests on the hope of eternal life. And when Peter asks, what, what is this all for? Just remind me, and I love you guys. This is in Matthew chapter 19. This is not even the beginning of Matthew. Like Peter's been following Jesus around for a while. He's seen the miracles. He knows the power. And still he's like, Jesus, just really quick, can you remind me? Like what's in it for, where is this all leading to? What, what am I going to get out of this? Sometimes we feel like that too, you know? We just need a reminder like, Jesus, can you just remind me what this is all for? Why we're leaving everything behind? And Jesus <laughs> responds with, first of all, Peter, you're going to inherit eternal life. Did you hear that? And second of all, in the regeneration, when I'm on the throne, what does the regeneration even mean? It's the establishment of God's earthly kingdom when Jesus comes back and he's on the throne. And it's, it's just powerful to think that Paul references this moment when he's giving a gospel presentation in Titus. Do you understand why? Are you with me or not yet? Paul is, Paul is saying, you guys, it's not just that we're born again. It's that we are going to take part in the regeneration, in the, in the thing that it's talking about in Isaiah 65 and 66, when it says the heavens, a new heavens and a new earth, like you're going to be a part of that with me. That is what I have for you. That's the future for you. Are you does it bring you hope? Does it bring you excitement that that is what's coming? Because it should. Don't forget, and some of us, we just... Um, we're like so busy with what's happening now in our lives that we forget that everything rests on the hope of eternal life with him. We forget to look forward. We forget to look ahead. We forget about where all this is going, what the point of all of it is. And this leads right into verse 7. What does it say? Being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Jesus said in John that unless we're born again, we're not even going to see the kingdom of God. But since we are born again, since we are regenerated and we're taking part in the first fruits of what is to come, there's a verse in Romans that I just absolutely love that helps us explain this. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, because we've been born again by the Holy Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies and the whole world and all of creation will one day take part in this. And yet, 
being justified by his grace so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Some of us don't even know what we're heirs of. We don't know, even know what we're inheriting. We don't realize that Jesus has given us his robe and his ring and he sees us as righteous. Do we live like that? There's this stupid, stupid movie that my dad made me watch a million times growing up and it's um, fa- uh, Christmas Vacation, whatever. You know what it is. <laughs> Don't judge me. And there's this guy in it that's just, oh, I just hate the movie. But it's perfect. Um, the Griswolds, you guys know it. And he is so certain that he's getting the bonus check for Christmas that what does he do? He tells his whole family they're getting a pool and he puts the down payment down on the pool because he's getting the bonus check. And what does he get instead of the bonus check? Jelly of the month, yeah. That has nothing to do with this illustration, but it's ridiculous. Anyway, the point is, Clark Griswold, I never knew I would say that name in a sermon, is so certain that he's getting this check, this bonus, that he's living like it's true now. He already put the down payment on the pool. And what would it look like for us to be so certain in our inheritance and in the hope of eternal life, and in the regeneration that is to come, and that we are part of that with Jesus, that we are just, everything about our life is transformed and changed because of it. It just changes the way we live now, right? That'd be so amazing. And so, as we close here, <laughs> I just want to encourage you. I want to I just challenge you to just open your heart to the Lord to ask, like, if I really receive the truth, the hope of eternal life, the truth that your love, Lord, has been showered upon me and I am so loved that I don't need to get it from anywhere else. I can walk confidently into any room, not seeking it, but looking to give it out of the overflow. And if I really receive the truth of the gospel, that there is nothing that I can do to earn or achieve my place with you, but you are already delighted with me, what would it look like for me to just rest at your feet instead of trying to earn it for you? And if it is true that I am an heir, that I will, I will be on a throne? Re, part of the regeneration? I mean, this is crazy. How would I live now? How would it change my life now? See, this, this is just my, my last point. The motivation of the church is twofold. We look back at the gospel, at the, at the grace of God in the cross, of Jesus in the cross, and we look forward to the hope of eternal life. And we look back at the grace of God in the, in the cross, and we look forward to the hope of God in eternal life. And it's, I love to picture it like a gate because Jesus says in John, I am the gate. I love to picture it like we just go in and out of it every day, all day, and we just reset And we look at the grace and we receive the grace and we cling to the hope and we walk forward according to the hope. And this is what Paul means when he says everything rests on the hope of eternal life. This is what it means when he says faith and truth have to take root that lead to godliness. Because when we know and we receive and we believe and we stand on the truth, it leads to godliness in our lives. We just can't help it. It's like a stone sitting in the sun. It can't help but get warmed right? It just happens. It just overflows out of us. And this is our last message 
on the church. And you're, you might be asking, how does this have to do with the church? Because when we as individuals, it happens, you guys, this transformation happens on an individual level. And when it happens in each of us and we come together as the church, overflowing with godliness as a response to God's love for us, the gospel transforming our hearts and taking root in our heart, then we are a force. Last year, um, my friend's husband died. Many of you know about this. And my mom felt like, I'm just going to send an email to a few quick people at our church, and I feel like the Lord is just leading me to raise her salary for the year. She has two young boys. She was the breadwinner of the family. Her husband just gone from a heart attack. And um, I just feel like I want to cover her. And it was like she sent this email to a few people in, at the River Church. Within weeks, this woman's salary for the entire year was covered. How does that happen? And when she tells the story of, ha- of what happened and how the Lord provided for her in the last year, because it was just the anniversary of her husband's death. This is what she says. My friend goes to this church up in the South Bay called The River. And I don't really even know them, but they covered me for the whole year financially. The River Church. And this was not a river-sanctioned thing. This wasn't a river event. This was just a few individuals that were so compelled and transformed by the gospel that they had a spirit of generosity that just overflowed out of them. So when they got the letter asking, would you consider? It was like, of course, I'm happy to. And they wrote the check and sent it and it was done. Just like that. Another example of this is the care team. The care team, I think, is one of the most powerful ministries at the river. And you know what it is? It's this secret group of women. I I don't think there's any men on it. It's this secret group of women who literally, I kid you not, like in the middle of the night or early in the morning, they drive to people's houses who have experienced loss or trauma or experienced something difficult in their lives or just need encouragement. And they just drop off flowers, dinner, a note with scripture, words of encouragement, just some little weird tchotchke. You never know. But let me tell you this. I cannot tell you how many people I have spoken to have said, I didn't really know about church. I didn't really know anyone at the River Church. I had one friend that went to the river, but all of a sudden when I was in my darkest moment, I was getting all this love and support from this church called the river on my doorstep that I don't even know. And because of that, I'm here today. That is, and let me tell you, this is so good. The people who are doing the care team drops off are sometimes young moms with three kids who don't have time to make dinner for other, I mean, they're just, it's wild because it's the transformation of the gospel in their hearts that is overflowing into godliness and love and service and care. It's just, it's coming out of them. And so we're going to stop this morning. And I'm going to lead us through a, an exercise as we sit in Titus 3, just a little longer. And I'm just going to ask that you would be open to just the Lord giving you a word, just speaking a word to you through this text. We're not, it's not going to be anything weird, but it is called Lectio Divina. And it's just a, a way of reading scripture 
where you just open yourselves up to hear the voice of the Lord through his word, and you just assume a posture of listening instead of an initiating, trying to understand something, just, just ask the Lord, like, what do you want to put on my heart through this verse? So we're just going to read the gospel. I'm just going to read it over you, and I'm going to kind of walk you through the steps. The first time we read it, I'm going to ask for you to just listen for a word or phrase that stands out to you. Maybe it gives you um, the chills, or maybe it makes you a little uncomfortable, or maybe you just know, like, this is the phrase. And we're going to play some music. And then the second time, we're going to ask, how does this word or phrase connect to my life? And then the third time, we're going to ask the Lord, how are you leading me to respond to this word you've given me? Because it would be such a miss if I talked about the gospel and the power of the gospel and the way the gospel can transform our hearts and lead us to godliness, but I didn't give us space for the Lord to just speak a word into your life that he wants you to hear about the truth of the gospel and the power of the gospel. So would you just get into a comfortable position? You can keep your eyes closed the whole time. I hope that if you have children, you keep one eye open. I hope that this is just absolutely delightful for you to just rest. We're just going to be, just begin our day with this. I'm going to read the passion translation of this exact passage that we've just been studying together, just because it's, it's really beautiful and vivid. And I hope it brings up some maybe new imagery in your mind. just ask that you would just settle your heart and your mind and your body. Relax and just become aware of God's presence. Maybe you can even pray. Um, Here I am, Lord, or speak for your servant is listening. As I read, just listen for the word or phrase that is addressed to you and just savor it. Don't judge it or analyze it, just sit with the word or phrase. When the extraordinary compassion of God our Savior and his overpowering love suddenly appeared in person as the brightness of the dawning day he came to save us not because of any virtuous deed that we have done but only because of his extravagant mercy He saved us, resurrecting us through the washing of rebirth. We are made completely new by the Holy Spirit, whom he splashed over us richly by Jesus, the Messiah, our life giver. So as a gift of his love, and since we are faultless, innocent before his face, we can now become heirs of all things 
all because of an overflowing hope of eternal life. I'm going to read this again, and this time ask the question, how is my life touched by this word? What is it in my life that needs to hear this word right now? Just explore your thoughts, your perceptions. How does my life need to be touched by this word? I'm going to read it again. When the extraordinary compassion of God our Savior and his overpowering love suddenly appeared in person as the brightness of a dawning day he came to save us. Not because of any virtuous deed we have done, but only because of his extravagant mercy. He saved us, resurrecting us through the washing of rebirth. We are made completely new by the Holy Spirit, whom he splashed over us richly by Jesus, the Messiah, our life giver. So as a gift of his love, and since we are faultless, innocent before his face, we can now become heirs of all things, all because of an overflowing hope of eternal life. This time as I read, ask the question, what is my response to God based on what I have read and encountered? Allow prayer to just flow spontaneously from your heart as honestly as you can, sharing all the thoughts and the feelings that it brought up, love, joy, sorrow, anger, repentance, desire, need, conviction. Just be honest with the Lord and pay attention to what God's inviting you to do. Like, how is he inviting you to respond to what you've heard from him? I'm going to read it again. When the extraordinary compassion of God our Savior and his overpowering love suddenly appeared in person as the brightness of a dawning day, he came to save us. 
not because of any virtuous deed that we've done, but only because of his extravagant mercy. He saved us, resurrecting us through the washing of rebirth. We are made completely new by the Holy Spirit, whom he splashed over us richly by Jesus the Messiah, our life giver. So as a gift of his love and since we are faultless, innocent before his face, we can now become heirs of all things, all because of an overflowing hope of eternal life. In this final reading, I just invite you to release and return to a place of rest in God, like it says in Psalm 31, a child that rests against his mother's chest. Just settle in. Total yieldedness and abandon. When the extraordinary compassion of God our Savior and his overpowering love suddenly appeared in person as the brightness of a dawning day he came to save us not because of any virtuous deed that we have done but only because of his extravagant mercy he saved us resurrecting us through the washing of rebirth we are made completely new by the holy spirit whom he splashed over us richly by jesus the messiah our life giver. So as a gift of his love, since we are faultless, innocent before his face, we can now become heirs of all things, all because of an overflowing hope of eternal life. Lord, as we emerge from just this place of personal encounter with you, would you show us how to carry this word with us and how to live it out just in the context of our daily life? And as we listen to the word you've given us today, I know that it will just be led deeper and deeper into its meaning and its truth until it just becomes a part of us. I thank you for your gospel, for the good news. I ask that you would speak to us fresh even after we leave this morning. And that we would just be open to a reset again and again and again. Resetting our minds with your truth. Allowing the truth of the gospel to transform our hearts and lead us into godliness. So we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. <laughs>